Camden, that was a really profound statement I evidently gave you years ago. I wish I remembered that. That sounded really smart. So it's uh, kind of surreal to see Camden and his element doing his thing. Y'all have got a great one. Uh, Camden and I have spent many years together, and I'm so proud of him, and I know y'all are enjoying having he and Hannah Grace here. Uh, they surely love the Lord um, and love students, and so I'm so glad that they're here being able to do ministry with you guys uh, my wife is here tonight as well. We actually grew up just down the road at West Jackson Baptist Church, so it's kind of nice to drop my three boys off at my mom's house and let them hang out with her for a little while uh, while we come over here. So Jackson's very much feels like home to us, so thank you for allowing us to come tonight and to be with you. Um, you know, Camden made that comment, and I made the joke about not remembering it. Um, I think every intern I've ever had, everybody I've ever partnered with in ministry, I've used some kind of statement like that. Because I think many times in ministry, especially in student ministry, we get the idea that it's our job to raise up these students. And in so many ways, we do have great influence on those students. But whatever study you want to go find, you will find that our influence pales in comparison to yours as parents. And mine as a parent. I'm going to talk tonight uh, of us all being in the same boat. I've got three boys, 13, 15, and 16. Um, I have in no way mastered uh, parenting yet, but it is a fun journey that I've been on for the last 16 years and really for the last 20 plus because I've been in student ministry for that long and love students. I believe students have such a high ceiling to impact the kingdom of the Lord and our culture. And, of course, if we were doing a, a lesson on culture today, we would hear about how um, 15 and 16-year-olds are influencing millions and billions of people all over the world. And so, you know, if you don't believe that, just get online on TikTok and watch a couple of videos from a 15-year-old, and you'll see how they're influencing the world. And I believe that they can influence uh, the world for good. And so that's why I do student ministry and believe in that. And you tonight are here tonight because you believe that your students and what you're going to give to your students is worth this time. So thank you for doing that. All right? I want to kind of get a feel for what I've got in the room. How many of you, your oldest, has already left high school and is at college or the next stage of life? Okay, couple. Good. So y'all should probably be teaching this class. All right, good. How many of your oldest is in high school right now? Okay, a bunch. Wow, all right. Your oldest is in middle school? A bunch of those two. And then your oldest is preteen or younger? A couple. That, there we go. All right, good. Well, here's the deal. Like I said, I'm, I've got a 13, 15, and 16-year-old. I've been studying this for 20-plus years. And for so long, I wanted to tell parents, no, I promise, I don't have a middle schooler, but I know this is what you need to do. And in so many ways, I was so wrong. But in so many ways, I think I was so right as well. Because I have worked with students so much that I began to see the basic underlying principles of what drives a student. Their need for love, their need for acceptance, their need for purpose. But I also learned when I had a kid that as a parent, you can do everything right, and sometimes it just still doesn't work. And thank goodness for the grace of God, right, that covers those areas where we probably didn't do everything right. How many of you would be in that boat as well? Nobody, yeah, okay, yeah, thank you. All right, just making sure y'all are awake out there. Um, so tonight, I want to talk to us a little bit about development, okay? I want to pray for us, and then we're going to just jump right in and hit the ground running, and then hopefully have some time at the end for Q&A. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for giving us tonight. Thank you for these people coming out to learn and to be challenged in what it looks like to truly raise up our children in the way they should go. Because, God, we know that as a high calling you have given us as parents, 
And God, we don't take it lightly. And so God, teach us tonight, most importantly from your word, but then God, maybe also from each other and experiences that we've shared. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about development. Camden had kind of said, hey, here's some things we're wanting to walk through. What do you want to talk about? And this has kind of been something I've really been on a deep dive study on for about 10, 12 years as I'm looking at what happens to a student when they hit puberty and then they navigate this world of the teenage years. Because what I saw so many times is parents would bring their student to middle school and think, thank goodness I made it to middle school, and then they back away and have a little bit of free time. Because now all of a sudden the student is, is somewhat responsible enough to get themselves from point A to point B. Maybe not with both shoes, maybe not with socks, but they can at least get there, right? And some of you are laughing because you've got middle schoolers at home, right? Um, I've got a middle schooler. I've got a middle schooler with a shade of dyslexia, which uh, hits executive function, which basically means he can never remember two things at one time. So if we say go get your shoes and socks, we're either going to get socks or we're going to get shoes. We never get both. And it's a fun world with Wyatt. I love my middle son. He's great. Um, but what I've learned is as they develop, there's certain things that happen <clears throat> with certain students that made me go, what were they really thinking when they did that? Has anybody ever thought of your student? Like, what were you really thinking? Like, I thought I made that really clear to not cook a grilled cheese while I was gone. And yet I come home and the oven's still on and the cheese is still on the counter. Is anybody with me, right? Like, I thought we made this clear. And you said, well, no, you said that me and my brother couldn't cook a grilled cheese. My brother wasn't here, so I just did it. Okay, completely admit, right? What were you thinking? Here's what I believe. If you look at Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 9, it's 5 through 9. It says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Y'all have heard this before. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them. Here's what I love. Again and again. Repeat them again and again. You can't just say it one time. Again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. And then I love it. It says, tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the the doorpost of your homes and of your gates. In other words, it's gotta be everywhere. It's gotta be in all of your speech. If we're going to help our children truly understand what it looks like to love the Lord, we've got to show them in every aspect of our life. And then also we're going to kind of, excuse me, we're going to springboard on this passage in Psalm 139. If you've ever uh, done a deep dive of Psalm 139, it's pretty remarkable what God has done and how he designed us. But Psalm 139 verse 13 says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, the delicate inner parts of my body. Knit together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so, listen to this, wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark womb. Now, Camden didn't ask me to come preach, so we're going to kind of springboard off those two verses. And we're going to say, what does it look like for us as parents who are walking with our children, who are developing through the teenage years. And so let's look. You've got some notes in front of you. First of all, 0 to 12 is the building stage. 0 to 12 is the building stage. This is where they are gaining information. 
our children are very concrete and very linear. All right, so they are just adding. They are building their Jenga block tower, right? They are just adding Jenga blocks on top. They are gaining knowledge. Don't run in the road, okay? I don't really care why. You just told me not to do it. I'm good with that, right? So they're just building it up. This food's good. This food's not, right? Mom's happy when I do this. Dad's not happy when I do this. They don't really think much more than that. They're just building knowledge, okay? They're gaining all these things. And then as most of you in this room know, something magic happens about age 12. Puberty. And everything goes crazy. All right? Listen to this quote from a study from Cornell University. <clears throat> it says, until recently, most scientists believed that the major wiring of the brain was completed by as early as three years of age and that the brain was fully mature by the age of 10 to 12. New findings are showing that the greatest changes to the parts of the brain that are responsible for functions, such as, listen to this, think about your teenager, self-control, judgment, emotions, and organization occur between puberty and adulthood. This may well help explain certain teenage behaviors that adults find mystifying, such as poor decision-making, recklessness, and emotional outburst. What has happened is we have begun, science has caught up with what the Bible was telling us. And science is telling us that this magical thing begins to happen at puberty where their bodies begin to mature and prepare for adulthood. And so from 13 to 25, you've got remodeling. So if 0 to 12 is building, they are gaining information. 13 to 25, all of a sudden they go, you know what? That's not the way we can live life. We've got to remodel the house. So we got to go in and we got to paint the walls. We got to move some walls. We got to put some new outlets over here. We got to put a new kitchen countertop. We got to do all this stuff so that our house is ready for adulthood, so that we're prepared and we're ready. And what happens, the brain begins remodeling from the back to the front. Now, that's only important that you know that the back is the emotional control. The emotions, the adrenaline, all the excitement, and the front is all the logic and reasoning and organization. So think about this. We're remodeling. The first thing we need to remodel is the thing that wants all the excitement and the joy and the happy things. The last thing we're going to get to is the thing that keeps us from getting run over by a Mack truck, right? Logic and reasoning. This can happen over the course of 13 years. Some studies will even push that to 29. So imagine from the back to the front could take a dozen plus years. So when you start to think, how is my student developing? They're developing some very slowly, some quickly, but they're developing where this part in the back, the limbic system and others, are kind of taking over. They're kind of taking over because they're going to work in hyperdrive while the front's trying to figure out what's going on. Does that resonate with any of you of what's going on in your home, right? It's kind of like, would you jump off a building? It's like, I don't know, how much fun would it be, right? They're not really thinking from the front of reasoning of we all go, but it hurts when you hit the ground. They're like, but it would be a lot of fun on the way, right? They're not really quite there yet. And so they're simply looking at this <clears throat> and thinking, what pleasure will I receive from this act? And they're working through that. Now, there's a couple of things in this remodeling stage that I think are really helpful for us to understand. 
when we think about how our students developing, okay? And it's kind of like a tree, all right? If it, this is a good time of year, spring, you're pruning that tree. You're cutting away some of the dead stuff. You're cutting away these things that don't um, have life anymore. Why do you do that? You prune that away so that new stuff has room to grow, correct? And it's blooming, this, this process of blooming. But then there's other things that you'll do to kind of strengthen the trunk of the tree or to strengthen some parts that you know I'm not ever going to prune this. Um, I love growing crepe myrtles. And you know a crepe myrtle, it's very important early on. You really shape that tree the right way, right? And so you want to strengthen some of the main kind of um, pieces of that crepe myrtle because you know I'm never cutting that away. Take that idea and think about in our students' brains, in our, our child's brains, what's going on. Well, first of all, in puberty, they go through this stage of all these different synapses. Now, synapses are just connections. It's a way to say, I see you have a black shirt, and I see you have an orange and black shirt. So sometimes you can put orange and black together. My brain just connected those two things, right? My brain would also say, if I pick my foot up and put it down, I'm going to walk down a step, right? Now, we do that a million times every second, right? You're listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth. You're thinking about what I'm saying. You're going, is this guy going to tell a funny story sometimes so we can laugh, right? But you're doing all these things. Your synapses are connecting the dots between what you hear, what you see, think. Students have to reform all these synapses in puberty. And what happens is you have this massive pruning because about 13 or 14, everything goes haywire and they go, wait a minute. Mom said don't run in the road. Why? I think mom said don't go run in the road. I'm going to put this synapse up. I'm really fast. I can beat a car. Let's try. Right? Now, hopefully that's never happened in your house, but sometimes it does. Sometimes they go, dad told me to never point a gun at anybody, but what if I point a gun over somebody and it goes over their head? Let's try, right? Well, that's crazy, and we all know that, but they don't know that. They're reforming, and so you have this idea of pruning these synapses. So as they're going through teenage years, they're going, I don't like to exercise, so I'm going to cut that branch off. I don't need exercise. I don't really like to listen to my parents. I'm going to cut that branch off because I've learned if they just keep talking long enough, they won't ever really have consequences. So as long as I just don't do anything, nothing will happen. So I'm going to cut that branch off. I really don't like reading. I've learned if I can just watch the movie and get by, I'm good. So I'm going to cut that branch off. And you have this massive use it or lose it thing that goes on in puberty. Now, you say, why does that matter? It matters because they are hardwiring, remodeling themselves for adulthood. And so many of the things your student goes through as a teenager, they're hardwiring themselves for adulthood. And then you have this massive blooming process and all these new things are happening, these new synapses. And this is where I get real excited because I love working with students. <clears throat> I think students have a remarkable capacity to do amazing things. You've probably seen it in your home. They can memorize things so much quicker than we can as adults, right? They can pick up on skills and abilities. I'm trying to teach my older two how to play golf. And I can teach them just a couple of things and all of a sudden, they've got that routine down that may have taken me weeks to train my body to do that, right? They have this remarkable capacity to learn new languages. 
because this blooming process allows them to, to form these new connections so quick. It's called synaptic plasticity. It's a big fun word. I'm not a doctor, so we're not going to get into it. But basically just means that they can learn and do all these things so much faster. Now put those two things together. You've got this massive ability to grow and learn new things. You've got this real crucial time where if they don't use it, they're going to lose it. And coming along behind this is this idea, it's called myelination. But it's the idea of strengthening those synapses that have been formed. Basically says, during your teenage years, whatever synapses you form and you lean on, we're going to wrap them extra tight. Kind of like an electrical wire. We're going to put some coating on them and make them really good and strong so that nothing can break them. Now, by the grace of God, we have seen students who have butchered their teenage years. And God is able to break some of those strongholds and see them go on and do great things for the Lord. But I'll just be honest with you. I've been in student ministry for 20 plus years. Most students that walk away from their faith in high school and in college, they really struggle to come back from their faith by and large. It's, it's hard. And it's hard because of what I've learned here is I'm looking at the way their brain's wired. They've strengthened these bonds of saying, hey, it's more fun to go hang with my friends and drink on the weekend than it is to go to church and serve and worship. And all of these things that right now while we're going, I am so glad my middle schooler can get their socks and shoes and get somewhere, right? And so I'm going to back away. It's probably, and this is what I would say, probably one of the most crucial time for us as parents to stay engaged in our students' lives. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk around your table, and then we're going to jump in and figure out what to do with that. I want you to talk around your table. How have you seen this in your student's life? The idea of them being really quick to learn or forgetting some things that you thought, I thought we had talked about this, and maybe they pruned it out. So talk about in your table. What are some of those things that maybe I said that, and you go, this happens in my home. So talk about that, and then we'll come back in just a second. All right. So that's about as much um, medical nerdy type stuff that I can give you. Um, I can do a whole lot more on that. I've really, really enjoyed studying this over the years. But we're going to kind of move to what do we do from there. Once we've kind of figured out, and hopefully you hear, hear my heart here, it's learning what's going on in their brain is something they don't even really fully realize is going on. So when you say, we've already talked about this, why are you not doing that? They may not, literally may not remember. They really struggle with going, I know what you've always said, but I'm having all these questions come in my mind and I don't know what to do with them. And so hopefully we have this, and I've seen that as my boys have grown up. Because I would watch what I'd studied for years happen in their eyes where I'm going, that's not who you are. Why did you just act that way? And they're literally looking at me and I can tell they're going, I have no clue. It just seemed like in the moment the right thing to do. And so hopefully you'll hear that and it'll allow you to have a little more grace, a little more patience, and learn that just yelling back at them or learning to give you going, my kid's the worst one ever, right? That you'll have a little more grace with yourself as well to realize, okay, this is part of the process. This is a part of the God-designed process in their brain of God going, he has made them so incredibly, made us, Right? Thank goodness all of our stuff was not put on Facebook and social media when we were growing up, right? Um, 
thank goodness that God has designed us so amazing, and yet he redesigns us for adulthood. And so let's jump in, and there's just seven things I want to look at of, hey, based on what we've heard, how can I navigate these years? How can I navigate and make the most out of it? I, I fully do believe, and I tell everybody this um, at our church, embrace every season you're in. Because it will be gone quickly and they don't come back. My boys don't wake up at 3 in the morning and say, Dad, will you go lay in the recliner and let me fall asleep on your chest? That's not happened at all in like 15 years, right? Number one, it would be really weird and I'd be like yelling at them go back to bed. But number two, like, man, I missed that. That was so great. And I think so many times at 3 in the morning when I was doing that, I was going, I just want you to sleep through the night. When is this season over, Right? I feel that way right now with teenage boys. You know, it, my wife, she doesn't understand boys. She grew up with a sister, and she's like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this? I'm like, yeah, they're a boy. That's what boys do. And she's like, when is this over? I'm like, when they leave, right? Um, but I'm loving it. I, I love teenage boys. I love all the weird sounds and smells and noises and all those things, right? And I apologize if you're offended by that, all right? But it's just where we are in my house. And I love my boys, and it's so much fun. And so how can we make the most out of your teenage years? First of all, expect miscommunication. Expect miscommunication. Now, thinking about the way they develop, and I don't want to get too much in the details, but part of the development here in the front is this reasoning is also perceiving reality. And so I, I have the gift of sarcasm. I wish I didn't, but I'm extremely sarcastic, and I try to make it funny, but I find out sometimes it's rude, and I have to apologize a lot. God has taught me the gift of saying I'm sorry. Um, but my boys, they, they struggle with that. And so I'll be like, yeah, of course you can walk to the store, son. Fine, just walk to the store and walk out. And then you look out the door, and they're walking to the store. And I'm like, what? No, of course you don't, right? They don't, we've all been there, right? They don't understand that. They, they really do have a tough time, even when you say something, if it's not literal, but you're using your facial expressions to say something else, they don't quite put those two together just yet. They're still struggling with that. And even sometimes when you say something, but you, like we said earlier, you and your brother can't, they are like, well, then that means if I'm by myself, I can. You have to be very literal. Many times you're going to want to ask them to repeat it back to you. And you say, really, I have to ask them to repeat it back to me like they're three-year-olds again? Yes. If you've got a 13-year-old boy at your house and you tell him something, you're about to leave and you're telling him something to do, say, will you repeat back to me what you just said? Why? Because they're probably watching TV. They're probably looking at a device. They're probably thinking about a bird that's outside the window, right, while you're talking. And so expect miscommunication. And so you're going to have to ask a lot of repeating questions. Number two, realize peer pressure is a real thing. Realize that peer pressure is a real thing. All right. So here's the deal. They've moved, you know, we talked about that 0 to 12, there's this very linear, concrete way. We're just adding things together. Well, this remodeling stage they kind of drop off the concrete plane, and now they're on the abstract plane. And they're starting to see things in other people's viewpoint. Um, when I was a middle school pastor at Bellevue, when I'd been there, um, came, it was probably like my third week there. Um, I had one of the Avery girls walk in, and she was real sweet. And she just looked at me and said, you look weird. Well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't really know how to respond to that, you know. Now, in her mind, she was not meaning it funny at all, but I was bald, and to her, I looked weird. 
And I thought, probably not the best choice of words for the new guy, but in her mind, she was not at all thinking that that would have hurt my feelings. She was not at all thinking about how I would perceive that. Because in her mind, it's this is what I'm saying. Many times, students are going through this where they're starting to go, wait a minute, that hurts your feelings when I said that, didn't it? And they're starting to understand how that makes you feel. And so they, their friend may say, will you jump off the building with me so that I'm not by myself? And they've got this newfound way of seeing that that would hurt this person to be alone. And they would say, yes, I would love to jump off the building so that you're not alone. And we look at them and go, are you crazy? But in their mind, they're going, no, I don't want my friend to be alone. They've not quite figured out where to place the priority of this newfound skill, right? And so we have to realize that peer pressure for them is a big, big deal. Peer approval. They're learning they want to be accepted. They're learning they want to be with people and together. Now, the crazy thing, and Camden's already talked about screens, and I've got about nine different talks with parents we do on screens, so I'm not going to get into that world. But a study came out recently, and they asked students, they said, would you rather go to the mall or a park or a gathering place with most or all of your friends, or would you rather be in your room with your phone, but you can't take your phone here? And by and large, the majority said, I would rather be in my room by myself with my phone. And the reason was because if they're here with some friends, there may be something they're missing out on. But when they've got their phone, they know I'm never missing out on anything. Now, think about this and think about what that does for them. This idea of peer pressure, we're going, no, you don't go into peer pressure. But for them, they're going, but my friends, they're my life. And so that's a big deal for them because it's being accepted. But maybe it's not even just being accepted. Maybe you do. And I've got one in my house. His heart is as big as this room. And he loves people so much. To the point that I'm watching and going, buddy, it's hurting you. Stop loving people so much, right? I hope that's not being recorded. But, um, but that's the way we feel as parents, right? We're like, you can't continue to do that. People are going to take advantage of you. And then it causes us to go, wait a minute, maybe I should put my... Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But peer pressure is a real thing. Number three, ask thought-provoking questions. I realize there's only one blank there, but is thought-provoking hyphenated? Can we get away with that for this? Sure. Great. All right. Thank you, Anna Grace. All right. Ask thought-provoking questions. <clears throat> You're going to want to ask a lot of why questions because they don't know why. That doesn't mean you need to harp on them. It doesn't mean you need to beat them up. But help them learn how to know the why. Why did you do this? I don't know. Okay, that doesn't work. What were you thinking? Well, I was thinking I just want to be with my friend. Great. That's a start. Because what really was the deal was you wanted to be with your friends. All right, why do you want to be, you know, and you're getting somewhere. Now, be careful asking layered questions. How many of you remember growing up, you'd walk in the door, maybe you were late for curfew, and your mom or dad asked you about four questions right at the beginning, right? Where were you? Who were you with? What did you do? Did you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're just like, okay, shutting you down, right? So you start small, asking those why questions. Ask them about details. What was going on at the time? Why were, what was happening here? What were the thoughts you were having about that? Here's the thing. They are getting to that point, and this is natural. Don't play in the road. You're going to have to tell them why. They don't just do it because you said so anymore. And, I, man, my dad, I love him dearly, and I wish he was here to hear it. How many times I would ask a question, he'd say, because I told you so. 
there comes a point where I'm like, I don't care that you said that. I can avoid punishment if that's what you're wanting, right? I know how to get around not getting caught, Dad, if that's the deal. And don't we all not want kids that we're just doing behavior modification, right? We want heart change. Because at some point, they're going to leave the home, right? And we want to know that they're not following the rules just because we were watching or that we may get in trouble, right? That they speed only when the cops aren't around, but that they understand how to work through, okay, this is a road that could be dangerous, and it says 35. I might want to stay close to 35, not 90 because there's nobody around, right? It's the same thing. Fill in the blank with whatever situation you have. We want them to understand the why, so we've got to ask thought-provoking questions. Number four, you're going to love this. Start over. Start over. You have to start teaching them things again. For example, we talked about when you were four, how to clean your room. Let's talk again about how to clean your room. Because cleaning your room doesn't mean you cleaned your room and you pushed everything in the closet. You got more creative and you threw it out the window. You threw it in the trash, whatever, right? Because they're, come, they're more creative. And so we've got to start over. You've got to teach them how to organize. You've got to teach them how to get ready in the morning. Okay, let's think through what time do you have to be there? What time would you have to? And we've all done this, right? If you've got middle schools or high schools. Anybody have a dr new driver? Okay, I just have a new driver in our house, and it's, it's painful, right? Okay, if you were driving the speed limit, what time would you have to leave, right? And so you've got to walk through, and you've got to teach them these new things. Because now we do expect they've, they've got a job. Or they're in middle school, and they're going to go to camp. And the middle school leaders at camp are not going to be as... Um, attentive to details, the, the preteen leader was at camp, right? And we want to know, is it cool? And it was, I always use this illustration. Lindsay, when she used to pack our boys' uh, clothes for fourth and fifth grade camp, we have a fourth and fifth grade camp, and she would put in the bag a big gallon Ziploc bag, shorts, underwear, T-shirt and socks, Ziploc it Monday. Later, anybody ever been there? She'd do this, the next one, Tuesday, right? And man, my boys thought that was great. That was awesome. First one gets ready for middle school and she gets out the bags. I'm like, no, 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 no. You cannot do that to him going to middle school camp. That would be like scar him for life, right? And she's like, well, how are they going to know what clothes to wear? And I said, they're going to do what every middle schooler does. They wear the same shirt until it's too dirty. And then they find another one, right? We usually, by fault, I've done so many middle school camps. You get to the last day and you're like, Hey, bud, do you have any more clean shirts? Like, because that one's like, we're on like day three. Like, they're going to need a new one. But we've got to really teach them how to organize. We've got to teach them how to plan. We've got to teach them how to save money. We've got to teach them how not to be overwhelmed with all their school assignments. We've got to teach them how to read the Bible again. Hey, all right, let's look. Let's read the Bible. What is it saying here? Let's observe. Let's interpret. What does that mean? And then let's look at how do we apply that to our life. Let's look at how do we journal. We don't journal in like we did when we were a first grader. The Bibles tell us about that. Now we're, we're older. And so there's more required of you now. You know, Scripture, remember, you don't wait until mommy tells you what Scripture to memorize. What's something that you're dealing with in your life? Let's see where it's talked about in Scripture. And then let's hide that word in your heart, Psalm 119.11, so that you won't sin against you. And now your students start to go, oh, you, but you've known this the whole time, Right? And you look so smart. And you're like, yeah, when you were a kid, we did it this way. And now that you're getting older, we're asking more of you. You've got to start over. And you've got to teach them how to do that differently. Number five, let them experience 
new things. Those blanks are not right either. Sorry, Camden. Let them experience new things. Let them try a new instrument, even if you buy a trumpet and then it's in your closet after you just paid $500 for it and they don't play it ever anymore. And surely we need to sell that thing on eBay sometime, right? Um, Let them try new hobbies. Let them try new stuff. Because here's the deal. They won't risk. Their brain is telling them they won't risk. Create opportunities for them to, to get that fix, if you will, in a controlled setting. Because if not, they're going to take risk somewhere. They're going to try new stuff somewhere. You've got to pick and choose. Do I fight with them because their hair, they came home with their friend's house and their hair was blue? Or is that okay? And I'm going to fight over here when they say, hey, I want to learn this new instrument. And it's the third new thing this week. You've got to pick and choose, but you want them to try new things. I, I talked to my boys early on that people drink alcohol and do drugs and do other bad things because of the way it makes them feel in the moment. And I talk about adrenaline, and I talk about how you get excited. And sometimes it's a lot of fun to do something bad just for a moment, and then you realize, wait a minute, I don't want to be led by that because that's not right because of how it impacts this person. And we talk about these things in our home. And I talked about this natural adrenaline you get from doing stupid stuff sometimes, right? And I said, so what I want you to do is learn how can we get this adrenaline by not being stupid. And so my oldest son wanted to start hunting. So we started deer hunting. And we would sit in the sand in the cold for hours, and it was miserable, right? And I was just praying for him to go, Dad, I'm too cold to go home. You're like, yes, let's get out of here, right? But I would sit there because he enjoyed it, and he wanted to do it. And so I would sit there, and we've all, as parents, done that. Until one day we saw a deer, and if you're offended by us killing deer, I apologize. Camden, you can deal with this later. Um, but he, he, he stood up in the stand and he shot that deer and the deer fell. And he's just smiling ear to ear. And I kid you not, parenting win for Jay. His first statement, he looked at me and goes, Dad, this is what you were talking about of a natural adrenaline rush. And I was like, yes, it was, son. Yes, it was, right? But you've got to let them try some new things. You've got to figure it out. If you say, you know what, I don't want them trying anything new. I don't want them doing anything crazy. They're going to. There's a great TED Talk one time of like five things you should let your kids do. One was climb a tree. Let them climb a tree and learn what it feels like to fall out. And you're like, well, I can't believe my kid would fall out. They break their arm, put a cast on it, keep going, right? But sometimes we're like, no, we want to protect them. We want to bubble wrap our children. And sometimes we've got to have some spot. I'm not telling you, let them go be crazy. I'm saying, what are you going to allow them to do to try and figure out who they are, where you can kind of, we're going to come back to that spiritually in just a minute. Two more, and then we'll take another break. Pick your battles wisely. Pick your battles wisely. Now, I always preface this. You are the parent, okay? You are still in control. You still parent how you want to, not because some guest speaker came in and told you what to do, all right? And so I'm never telling you to relinquish control of your home. But you have to learn how to pick your battles. If everything is a fight, you're going to be miserable. Because a lot of things, they really didn't do it intentionally. A lot of things, it was something that they just did without much thought. And so you can learn that and go, okay, then we're going to let that slide this time. You may not tell them that, right? You want to preserve that grace card uh, for when you want it for special occasions. But you've got to learn how to manage, not control everything. Okay? Our goal, once again... 
and then my wife and I talk about this a lot. Our goal is not that at 16 they're ready because goodness gracious knows at my home my boys are not ready to be out on their own. But my goal is at 18 when they're ready to go that they're ready. And so we've got a long way to go. You've got a long way to go. But our goal is to raise fully functional adults. Our goal is to get them to a point not just where they attend church every Sunday. That's not my goal. I'm not going to pick every fight. Now, we do at our home, once again, it's where I said you're in charge. You go to church. It's not optional at our house, all right? But that's not my goal is that when they leave, they want to go to church every Sunday. My goal is that they love the Lord and they understand what the Lord's word teaches about why you go to church. And so for them, it's not that they go to church because of some legalistic rule checkbox that they do every Sunday, but they understand out of a heart of love for the Lord, they want to be in church. And so we're going to fight that battle to say, look, it's not just about this girl in this moment. It's about what does a spouse look like for the rest of your life? I was talking to my boy just this week. He's got a summer break coming up. And I said, look, what is future Wyatt going to be thankful for present day Wyatt doing? And that was a big concept. And it took him, he was like, what? You know, and we had to walk that back a little bit, right? But I want you to think about that. And so we're going to think through some of those things. And so everything's not going to be a battle because we know what the end goal is. And we go, you know what? This is okay because this is where we're going. Last thing, and we'll take a break. And this is the hardest one. Let them live with the consequences. This is one that I always thought before my kids were teenagers that parents need to do better because we all as student pastors love the helicopter mom that's you know right there wanting to make sure everything's exactly perfect for their kids. And I would always say it's okay if they go hungry. It's okay if they miss a meal. So we at middle school camp when I took over um, here at Bellevue 10 years ago, I got there and they said, Every student puts, and if y'all do this, Camden, I apologize. Everybody puts $5 on their account, and we'll save that $5, and the last night before camp, we'll give it back to them, and they can buy lunch on the way home. That way, they'll have lunch money for the way home. Now, oh, I'm sorry, I missed part of the story. They can put money on their account to buy snacks throughout the week, but it can never go below $5 so that they would have money on the way home. Well, my first year, I was like, why not? And they're like, well, we wanted to make sure we have lunch. I was like, it's lunch. If they can't learn how to manage their money all week, they miss lunch and they're hungry when they get home and mom's probably gonna fix them whatever they want anyway. That's a good life lesson. Now, we got rid of that rule pretty quickly and we didn't do that anymore because I was the middle school pastor and I could change that. But my point is, these students would go buy Kit Kats on the first night with all their money. And they would realize the rest of the week, I don't have anything. So let's decide if my student learns the consequences at middle school camp that, wait a minute, I probably should save some money for the last day and not buy 47 Kit Kats on the first night. Or would you rather learn it over here when they go, well, I committed this crime, but are you really going to punish me for it? And they go to jail. Now that's a little harsh, but let's be honest. You're going to learn the consequences at some point. And so what I want my boys to do and what I would hope for most of you as parents is that you want them to learn to live with the consequences now. You want them to understand that their actions impact other people, that their actions impact themselves. That, hey, if you spend your money on this, you're not going to have it later. I'm not going to bail you out. I'm sorry. You mean you would tell me I can't go out with my friends? No, you're making that choice, that you would rather do this than that. And that's really hard. But for these students to learn 
that. Remember, we're talking about this blooming, pruning, strengthening, that they would learn my actions impact me and those around me. All right, around your tables, what is one of those things that when we talked about it, you said, this really resonates. I need to do this more at my home. Go. All right. Let's look at these last five real quick. How does this idea of our students transitioning, of them learning, of them asking a lot of questions, of reasoning not necessarily being at the forefront of who they are, how does this impact their faith journey? How does this impact um, them as they grow in their faith? First of all, one size does not fit all. Girls, if you were just to look just very simply, girls develop quicker than boys. Um, they go through puberty quicker. They're smarter quicker. They're smarter all around anyway. And so if you are, have a girl and a boy in your home and you're like, your sister was always like, it's going to be miserable, right? Um, girls, we, we saw that in middle school. I would have sometimes have a girl who's pretty much like already kind of hardwired and remodeled her whole house ready for adulthood at eighth grade. And I've got a ninth grade boy who still like has not even realized what remodeling even means. Like they're just like, what? You know, and we see that. And when you have that many middle schoolers around, you see it very clearly. So sometimes when you've got one or two, you don't notice that. But I would just tell you um, that girls are just different. Not only girls and boys and the difference that, but just also how they develop. Some people don't go through puberty till later. Some people go through quicker. Some people really are pushing 25 before they've got it all. And so for us to say, hey, here's the way that you're supposed to walk through in your walk with the Lord, and this is the way the Bible is said to do it, is wrong. One size does not fit all. Now, here's what I will tell you, though. One God does fit all. The Word is still the same. How we read the Word in the mornings is different but we read the same word every day. How we pray is different. I've got three boys. It's different for every one of them. For some, it's more of a walk and talk prayer. For some, it's a sit down, write through, go through, check the box, right? That's how they pray. For some, when you're going through, how do you journal? For some, it's like, give me a sentence, you know? And for some, they're like writing a novel, you know, memorizing. For some, it's like, we're going to work on this verse this year. And for others, it's like, I need the challenge. I want a verse a day, right? Does that make sense? One size does not fit all, but one God does fit all. And so you say, you know what? My family doesn't look like the Instagram family. No, it doesn't. And that's okay. That's why anxiety's out the roof with our students because they're going, I don't look like her. They're like, well, of course not. You're not her. You're you. Okay? In the same way with us as families, our kids aren't supposed to look like the other kids. Our kids are supposed to be who God wants them to be. I was the weird pastor. My kids ran in church. I'm sorry, all right, if you're mad at me already, I apologize. Now, as they got older, we had to learn when to run in church. You don't run in church on Sunday morning because you turn that corner and somebody's coming the other way and, man, it's not good, right? But when I'm the only one here, I'm like, yeah, go play hide and go seek. I don't care. You know, they live at the church. Why not have some perks, right? And so one size does not fit all. Crisis of belief. crisis of belief. I can't tell you how many times I've had a parent come into my office, and, and I, I don't mean this in jest, but they would come into my office and they would say, Jay, we're having a real problem. You know, little Tommy says he doesn't believe the Bible anymore. And I would almost want to say, yes, this is a great day. Now, of course I don't do that, right? Because we as parents, 
we watch our kids struggle with their faith and we're heartbroken. But here's what I want to encourage you. At some point, your student, in this growing up process, they're going to move from your faith that you have given them. You've said, hey, son, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. And like, yes, I got that. This makes you happy. I believe that. I understand that. I'm in. To they're going to go, wait a minute, why do I believe that? Do I believe that because mom told me that's what to do? Or do I believe it's what I believe? Wait, do I believe that this is what I'm supposed to follow? Or is this just all these people around me? They are going to go through a crisis of belief and decide for themselves, is this my faith? Now, understand, caveat, asterisk, I am not discounting a six-year-old making their profession of faith on a Sunday morning. I fully believe, and I've counseled way too many middle schoolers who said, I don't think I was a Christian at six when I walked the aisle. And I would say, yes, you were. Now, I didn't say it like that, but I'd say, yes, you were. You just now see God differently. God doesn't sit right above the clouds anymore. You now have this different understanding of God, and you're going, I've never loved a God like that. No, because you didn't know God, and you know God deeper. That's why many of us, when we've walked in our faith for 30, 40 years, I I truly believe I'm closer to the Lord now than I've ever been in my entire life because I'm learning these new understanding, new aspects of God. All that to say, you want your students to have this crisis of belief while they're still with you. While you can navigate what it means to believe in God, while you can help them formulate their foundation of belief, because if they do it when they get to college, there's the atheist, there's the agnostic, there's the this, there's the that, and they're all going to help this student walk through what they believe. Which one would you rather have? Me personally, I want my student to do that with me while I'm there and I can help them walk through. Now, I'm not going to jumpstart the process. You know, I don't come home every night. Do you really believe in God? That's kind of (laughs) crazy. And then walk off, right? Don't do that. All right, don't do that. What I'm saying is having a crisis of belief is not a bad thing for your student because they're trying to figure it out. You actually want to create um, a, a spot, and this goes to the next one, where they can ask the tough questions. Does your student trust you enough to come and say, Mom, do we really believe the Bible's true? Or do they know if they ask you that question, you're going to think they're bad. You're going to think they don't believe in God anymore. You're going to think they haven't been listening to Camden enough. Or are you going to be okay with, well, that's a great question. Let's talk about it. Can you ask the tough questions? Can you say, hey, have you ever thought about what, it, what is this, this whole deal about, you know, whatever situation that may be going on. What do you think about it? What do you think about this homosexuality thing? I mean, you have friends like that? What about our, our friends at church that say that? What do, you, what do you think the Bible says about that? Are you comfortable to ask that question? Or are you kind of scared? Which goes to the next one. Wrestle with them. Now, it doesn't mean that you're actually wrestling against them, but you come alongside When they ask a question that you don't know the answer to, say, you know what? I'll be honest. I don't know. But here's what I'll challenge you. If you'll study it and I'll study it, we'll talk about it next week. You will amaze your student if you say, I don't know, and then raise the bar for them. Don't say, I don't know. I'll come back to you with an answer. Challenge them. They want to be challenged. And then when they come back with answers, say, now, where did you get that information? 99% of them are going to say, Google. (laughs) Okay, well, let's talk about that. What on Google? Well, this website. Well, what website was it? 
Well, son, this was not even a website of somebody that, you know, believes the same we do. Why would you, you know, and you're teaching them how to filter, right? You're wrestling with them, teaching them how to filter. Same thing we do, right? We show up at work and we tell this great stat and then we realized it was on Babylon B, right? And it was not even a real stat, okay? We've got to learn how to filter through. So we've got to wrestle with them. And then the last thing, let them hear the real stories. <clears throat> In an age-appropriate way, tell them your real stories. Do your students know how you came to know the Lord? Do your students know the doubts that you've had at different times that you've wrestled through? I've talked to my boys. I, I struggled in college. Um, my wife, she was not my wife then. She was very gracious to me and very patient and helped me walk through that. But I really struggled with that of like, all right, do I really believe this whole thing? And I had to work through that and, and work through what I believe and study that. And I've told my boys that. And I've talked to them about it and said, hey, it's okay. You got questions? God is big enough for our questions. And God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity. So if you've got questions on that, work through that. And so I've asked them those things, and I've told them some of those stories. So around your tables, real quick, what are one of those things that you're looking at and say, this is something I probably need to do a little more of in my home?